This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. No pressure. Hi, this is Mike Norton, uh, creator of Battle Bug, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd uh, Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Who are, I don't know who those guys are. <laughs> Welcome to episode 66 of DHN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 9th. And reading your damn tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us at Two Headed Nerd on the Twitter. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not explaining what ball busting is to Joe Patrick so he can know what to expect from Lady Ursula at his bachelor party tonight, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not crying about getting blasted in the junk by a woman dressed as Ultra Woman from the Crime Syndicate without even trying to see if I like it first, you don't know. You I'm, just don't know. That's I'm, what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You might love it. This week, you'll hear reviews of Trio number one and Deathstroke number nine. After that, we'll review ten comics so fast, the resulting shockwave will cripple senior citizens for miles during the ludicrous speed round. And then, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, it's time again for you guys to ask a nerd, where we read one lucky listener's comic-related question. But before we get to all that murple and derple, let's take a minute to let everyone know that whether you're married to a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. All marriage is gay. <laughs> and then we'll talk about this week's big news. A man or a woman. After the rest of the world got a one-week head start, Marvel's The Avengers finally opened in the United States. Why did they get it first? What is that about? I don't know. Shattering box office records, the film raked in $207 million in the first three days of release, giving it the best opening weekend in box office history. As of Wednesday, May 9th, The Avengers has made three quarters of a billion dollars worldwide. Matt and I were gearing up to see the film the night we recorded last week's episode, but now we have experienced the magic. Matt! How do you feel now that you've seen The Avengers, and do you think it deserves all of this attention? Well, first of all, before we went and saw it, and before the weekend box office um, numbers came in, I bet Joe Patrick that The Amazing Spider-Man would beat The Avengers in opening weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm feeling a little silly about the whole thing. That was a stupid bet. <sighs> and when I have to get that tattoo on my butt, I'm really going to regret it. You know, it, it lives up to the hype. I, I'm not going to go, ah, it's great. It, it totally lives oh, up to the hype. Listen to you. Well, we've all, we've all You're heard it. Too cool for school. I'm not saying I'm too cool for school. I loved it, and we all loved it. It was I'm amazing. Totally lived up to the hype. Totally worth it. I think the real important thing to take away here is that Marvel Studios and all these actors took a huge gamble in in making all the movies that they made before this one. Yeah. Not all of which were huge box office hits. They all did well, but they all weren't giant runaway hits and it paid off. They proved that the world is ready for continuity like this and we can do stuff like this in our movies. I want to say Iron Man or Iron Man I, I, Iron Man 2 probably cuz people were eager to see it. The fools. <laughs> um, I like only Iron Man too. Only made like six hundred and some million dollars in the entire run. The thing that we can take away from this is America is ready for this. Yes, and they, they can did absolutely it. do this. And Marvel showed everyone this is how the superhero film is done. You pay attention to what the fans like. You pay attention to good story writing, and we don't dumb it down. We make it fun. We make it interesting. We make it action packed. People will go, and people will love it. The guys on uh, at Movie Ha this week uh, made a really good point about how 
they don't waste any time with an origin story. They just they like, straight into it. Yeah, there's no BS. And except for like a, a a thirty second flashback where Cap is remembering what it was like right before he got frozen. That's all you get. But that's all you need to know. Oh, I get it. This guy's displaced in time. He was in World War Two. He was frozen for a while. Here he is. Boom. Go. Uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, and-, and you didn't have to see Cap. My mother went and saw this movie with my dad, not seeing... I don't think she's seen anything since Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And she loved it. She wasn't lost at all. She thought it was great. She thought Thor was really cute. Didn't have any questions. She's like, oh, he's a god. Got it. You know? I mean, that's all you need. Yes. It was very... It was very user-friendly. <laughs> it definitely I, I was. Say. But not dumbed down. No. That's the important part. It was wonderful. Everyone had a chance to shine. And what I want to know is... I'm sure they saw it before release, but what must the Warner Brothers executives be feeling? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I mean, like, and I'm not worried about Batman at all. I think no. it's, it's going to be absolutely amazing. But outside of that Bat franchise, oh, my God. Yes, what do just... they do? I, do? I might look and be like, you know what? Scrap Superman. We're starting over. We're starting the whole Maybe, DC universe over. Maybe, or completely over, retool it. And this is where it starts. It starts with Superman. Yeah, man. But... It was it was well worth the hype, well worth the cost of a ticket. Get out there and see the Avengers. It was wonderful. In other Marvel news, the company announced that writer Rick Remender will be leaving the Venom series with issue 22. Wolverine and sixth gun writer Cullen Bunn will step in as solo writer in the series with issue number 23 in August. Bunn and Remender have been co-writing the series recently, so this should be a pretty seamless transition. Remender's final storyline in the series will revolve around the Savage Six, a team of villains tailor-made to face the military Venom, including the new Jack-O-Lantern, the human fly, Eddie Brock, who has been turned into, quote, a revenge-fueled terror monster. Okay. He's scary looking. And others. According to the writer, Bun's first solo story will be the perfect jumping-on point for the new readers called The Monsters of Evil. Joe, does Bun taking over the book? Bring you back to the Venom series. The only reason I'm not reading Venom now is because I got behind. Like, I remember we both really liked the new Venom, and we enjoyed that. It kind of lost me, though. It didn't lose Venom me. I a, just got behind. Venom is one of those books where I felt like I should be really excited about this. I love Tony Moore on the art. I love Rick, the way Rick Remender writes comics. And I loved the idea of what they did to Venom. Like, really cool idea that we've never seen from this character. And something just got lost. I don't know. I just stopped caring. It's, is it bad? No. But I just, I found it slipping further and further down in the pile, and then I just stopped reading altogether. I will say, it was Spider Island where it lost me, and I liked Spider Island. Yeah, Spider Island was a ton of fun. But I just wasn't, I, like, the sense of urgency to read those tie-ins, the Venom tie-ins specifically, wasn't there for me, and I let myself get behind. And I never really cared to go back. Now, I will say, the same thing happened to me with Jason Aaron's run on Wolverine. Yeah. Which was very up and down. We agree on that. Uh, Overall, though, I liked it. And I would have gotten caught up. But I just jumped on with Cullen Bunn's first issue of Wolverine. uh, And it was good. A couple weeks ago. It was fun. And I really liked it. I gotta say, a character like this Venom is a very interesting character. I don't know if I care about him in his own book. I I think I might like him better as a secret Avenger. That's, That's where fair. a character like this belongs, in my opinion. That's fair. But I am I am kind of eager to give Cullen Bunn's first arc a try. Oh, I'll check it and out. And see if he can sell me on the character. Most def. Yep. Finally, indie comic superstar turned DC favorite Jeff Lemire announced that his Vertigo series Sweet Tooth 
would be coming to its natural conclusion with its 40th issue in December. The book's final arc, The Wild Kingdom, will focus on the emotional journey the lead characters Gus and Jeopard have taken since the series began, with the grizzled Jeopard becoming like a father figure and protector to the once naive and innocent Gus who is hardened in this violent world. The final storyline will take place in Alaska, where the cast will find at least some answers surrounding the plague and the hybrid children. Matt, what do you think? Is this the right time for Sweet Tooth to wrap up, or do you think there's more story left to tell? I just fell in love with this book. I know. I just fell in love with it. (laughs) Now, okay, props to Jeff Lemire if he only had a limited story to tell, and he's going to stop. Because nobody does that in comics anymore. We let stuff run on until it gets so hackneyed and lame that it gets canceled, you know? (laughs) You know, I I was just thinking about American Vampire yesterday and how much I like it and how they are already up to the 50s. Yeah. And I do not want that book to continue past, like, the 70s, right? I don't know. I mean, mean, if he can still do it, he can do it. But see, that's the exact thing, is he could have stayed in the Old West or the 20s or whatever the book picked up and stayed there for years on end, and instead he's moving the story along. He could even go back there, though, and it really wouldn't hurt that story. But it's the same thing with Sweet Tooth. Go to the end, don't milk it, don't overstay your welcome. Yeah, and if that's what he's got, if he planned a 40-issue story... And he sees a logical conclusion, and he's going to hit it and nail it. Great. I'm in. Because this book is fan-friggin-tastic. This is must-read stuff for anyone who's ever liked Vertigo. And I can't wait to see what comes next. And if it keeps him fresh, and he's got new ideas to throw at us, good. Because Jeff Lemire writes great comics. Whether you're reading his Animal Man or his Sweet Tooth, the guy writes great friggin' comics. I guess the best way to put it is... We're sad to see it go, but excited to read the end. Right. I think the new project, Underwater Welder, is that right? Underwater Welder. Which, God, it's going to be weird. I can't wait. <laughs> I change shapes just to hide in this place, but I'm still, I'm still an animal. That's the big news this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page where, if all goes well tonight, you'll be able to see video of Joe Patrick trying to make some animal hybrid children of his own. <laughs> gross. Yes. It is gross. Nobody knows it but me when I slip. Yeah, I slip. I'm still an Joe Patrick, before we get to our reviews, why don't you read us a tweet? Our first tweet of the episode comes from Keith Binder, who wants to know, what is your favorite Bronze Age superhero story? Bronze Age. So Bronze Age, it's pretty universally agreed that the Bronze Age starts right around the time of Conan number one in uh, the early mid-70s. So it would include like all of the John Byrne, Chris Claremont, yeah. X-Men. The Fantastic Four. Maybe. I mean, it's arguable. Once you get into the 80s, it's kind of arguable. Yeah. But like it's hard to top the John Byrne X-Men run. Uh, but for me, though, one of my favorite comics I had when I was a little kid was Detective Comics 527. I don't remember the year it came out, but it was probably in, like, 1980 or 81. And it was an anniversary issue. It was the 500th consecutive appearance of Batman in Detective Comics. And it was Jason Todd, like, pre-crisis Jason Todd, so he wasn't, like, a total douchebag. <laughs> And he had red hair. He wasn't wearing goggles, you mean. <laughs> well, and it was just, it was it had like every villain in it, and it was this big mystery, and they were trying to solve what happened to Jason's parents. I'm probably mixing all kinds of stories, but like Killer Croc was in it, but he was more of a gangster than a monster. It was awesome. 
And like to three or four year old Joe Patrick, it's like it was a mind blowing experience. Never read it. And I think that probably stands out as one of my favorites. I don't know, just gut gut feeling here. I gotta go with Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith's Conan. I love the like the first twenty issues of that series. I read those years ago when I was young. Loved it. I've got a better one. Oh boy. It's an issue of DC Comics Presents, and I'll be willing to admit it might be outside of the Bronze Age, but it's George Perez drawing Superman teaming up with OMAC, the original OMAC, One Man Army Corps. No, it is one of the best comics I have ever read. Look it up, Keith. Fair enough. You will not regret it. George Perez at the height of his powers. Now it's time for us to point an accusatory finger at two of this week's newly released comics and ask them just what in the hell they were thinking. That's right, it's review time. Joe, what did you read this week? I picked Trio number one from IDW. As the credits say, it was created, written, and drawn by John Byrne. Drawn. It doesn't say drawn. (laughs) Uh, And colored by Rhonda Pattison. Here's your solicit from Diamond. Zap! Pow! Bam! Our sound effects you may actually see in this series as John Byrne returns to his roots with a brand new superhero series. Their code names are simple, one, two, and three, but the world calls them rock, paper, and scissors. Together, they are trio. Now, the last time... I read that, and I... I just went, oh, oh stop it. <laughs> now, it, just, it just sounds so dumb. The last it time. so dumb. The last couple of times that I remember John Byrne, quote, returning to his roots uh, were the ill fated Lab Rats Ooh. and one of the upteenth Doom Patrol reboots, and neither of which. Ooh, by the way, that Doom Patrol run spun out of that six issue story of JLA he did. With Chris Claremont that introduced the world to Crucifer. <laughs> you remember that oh, guy? Oh, man! Crucifer! The vampire that almost killed uh, Superman. That's right. Yes. Now, neither of, of those books set the world on fire. To be fair, vampires are magic. It's true. You know, whatever. Uh, there is a fair argument to be made that if a ba- vampire ever bites Superman, it would instantly explode. Because <laughs> he's full of sunlight. He's not full of it. He's just powered by it. <laughs> now, I wasn't really excited to read this book, but I gave it a try. And I have to admit, I was pleasantly surprised. There is more going on in this issue than in most other first issues you see today. You get hints at the personal lives of most of the team. Hints at some subplots boiling beneath the surface. A multi-page fight scene. And a first look at the team's headquarters and infrastructure, and even a little bit of supporting cast uh, action there. The book is written in a very classic style, but nothing really seemed dated about it. It's just a different way of pacing than you usually see. It's it's very reminiscent of like Kurt Busiek and uh, those guys that are still around today. John Byrne is a master storyteller, but his art has changed a bit over the years it's still very good he clearly knows what he's doing but it's a far cry from his days yeah he's not the john like, Byrne that we used to back, know him you love. know back when he was being inked by terry austin you know that's the standard i judge most of his current work by and it's probably unfair and okay yeah and i don't want to I, I realize i'm the guy that jumps on the old guys on this on this program and i feel bad for doing it it's hard though just like when you watch a football player that's aging and he loses a step or a quarterback that can't throw as well as he used to John Byrne is not the artist he used to be. That said, his art in this book is very good. No, I, I don't it's, think it's, it's very good. I don't think it's fair to to say he's lost a step. It's just it's different. You know, he's he's drawing differently. His style has evolved. It's like 
the Mark Bagley of today, who is drawing Avengers Assemble, which is not very good. No. Uh, is is different than the Mark Bagley that drew Ultimate Spider-Man, who was different than the Mark Bagley that I, mean, I fell in love with on New I Warriors. I totally agree. I totally agree. I will say the Mark Bagley that's drawing that team book, though, looks a lot better than the Mark Bagley that was drawing Justice League. Oof, boy. Way boy. better. Boy, how I don't know if it's a better environment or what. <laughs> this, you can tell... In looking at this, John Byrne's excited about what he's doing. Right. And I agree. maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe he wasn't real excited about some of the Star Trek stuff he did for IDW. Maybe he wasn't real pumped about, you know, some of the fill in stuff he did here and there. And he just kinda, you know, threw it out there. I don't know. This looks pretty solid. It is solid. It is solid. I am not a fan of the coloring. Let me uh, hold on. I don't know if it's the coloring in the paper. Stock, I'm gonna though. I'm gonna rephrase it. It's the coloring is fine. What I didn't like about it were the computer effects. Yeah, that Rhonda Pattison yeah. used. Uh, for example, Rock looks like he has a close up photo of an actual rock. He looks like kind of like a calico cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like sort of so weird. she photoshopped a picture of a rock over the art instead of taking the time to color him to resemble a rock. Yeah, and it's very distracting. It doesn't work. That's it's just an example of digital effects used poorly in my opinion. If it was just classic flat coloring, I would have totally loved it. The main thing I took away from this book though is that it's just fun. It it won't set the world on fire. It's not going to win any Eisners. No, he's not reinventing the wheel no. here, certainly. But I had a good enough time reading it that I'm on board for more and really that's what it's all about. You know, okay, this wasn't bad and I'm not going to bag on it cuz it was kind of fun. I just feel like this is an itch that I am currently having scratched by Kirby Genesis. This cla- that kind of classic sort of Silver Age storytelling, you know, just slam bang superhero fun. I'm already getting what I need, and I don't need a lot of that. I'm already sure. getting what I need from sure. one title, so I'm probably not going to read any more of this. But I'm not going to say leave it. I would I would give this a skim it and say it's it's a good time. And if you want, if you're looking for that sort of classic, it very 1980s superhero feel. Not many people do it like John Byrne, man. I mean, like this guy is really good at what he does, and this is will be right up your alley. Is it the best thing ever? No, certainly not. <laughs> Far um, from it. But you know, see, for my money, Kirby Genesis is is certainly slam bang action, but it's also done at least art wise in a very modern dynamite style with super saturated computer colors. Oh, sure. And and slick paper and the whole nine Which is and kind of what they were trying to yeah, do here with the I see I don't think they were. You know? I, I it's the computer effects here are sparse. It's just that I noticed them in a negative way. You know, for me, I dropped Kirby Genesis like a hot potato. This is more up did my you alley. Really? I did. I it's don't, still great. Eh, oh, I'm, I love it. I'm not into it. I love it. The, now the <laughs> The miniseries are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the focus here is on John Byrne. John, I liked it. I'm eager for more. I'm giving Trio number one a buy it. Yeah, you know what? I'm yeah. going to stick with Skim It. But yeah, look, it's fine. I'm sticking with Skim, Skim It. Skim It is not bad. Take a look. See if it's for you. It, I will say I thought I was going to hate this. I did not. Yep. There you go. Matt, tell me about the grand return of Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Rob Liefeld is the chosen one who will save Hawkman, Grifter, and Deathstroke. And today we'll be talking about Deathstroke. Number nine, Rob Liefeld's glorious return to DC Comics. Here is your solicit. This is the one book he's writing and drawing. This is his baby. Lobo Hunt, part one. For anybody else, hunting Lobo would be suicide. For Deathstroke, it's just business. So right there, surprise, Lobo's in the book. Uh, (laughs) You know, and that's fine. I don't necessarily hate Lobo. It's just... 
I don't hate Lobo at all. Mm. I really enjoy that. And we'll get to that. Right. We'll get to that. Before we get started here, I know that I have been a very vocal critic of Mr. Leefield, and I assure you, I went into this read with a completely open mind and no pretenses. Swear to God, cross my heart, all that. Swear to Superman, I'm an atheist. But I want to approach this without sounding like I'm jumping on the anti-Rob Liefeld bandwagon and beating the guy up. So that's what I'm going to try and do here. Let, let, let's say this. It's not bad just because it was done by Rob Liefeld. No, time out <laughs> before we get to that. As always... Liefeld has been tweeting his little heart out ahead of these releases and constantly retweeting the good reviews in the wake of the releases, which I find a little tasteless. And I can't think of another creator off the top of my head that I follow that does the same. Yeah, common creators retweet good reviews. I see I it all here the time. and there. Sure. Like, a, hey, thanks, man. You know, for whatever. Uh, I think Rob today tweeted 30. <laughs> At least. <laughs> my question. Okay. I will say this. He's excited about comics. That's a good thing. Yes. The guy is very excited about what he does. I believe he genuinely loves what he does. My question to him and his fans, what is it that you're excited about? That's my question here. I'm not going to sit here and bash Liefeld's art because it is what it is. His characters look like everything you've ever seen him draw before. They have giant guns. They have sunglasses with no earbands, holder things, whatever you call them. Men with giant chests and women with equally giant chests, but size negative nine waist. And of course, he piles them all up so as to avoid drawing any backgrounds whatsoever. I, I actually do have a point on the art that is aside from everything you just described. I won't spoil the reveal, but a character is introduced in this book other than Lobo, and the way she is drawn... I'm going to spoil it a little bit here. Oh, well, anyway. okay. I'll leave it for you then. Okay. When this character is introduced, uh, the camera angle is tilted, oh, which yeah. which is interesting. You know, that's, you gotta mix it up. I appreciated that. But if you take the time to tilt that back the other way and look at it straight on... Her eyes yeah. are like this. <laughs> They're way off kilter. No one can see what you're doing. <laughs> They're like this. My right then they look like this. My right <laughs> hand is considerably higher on my face than my left hand. Yeah, they they are completely one is way higher than the other. Askew. Not to mention the fact that like at this level Mr. Liefeld's been working for a very long time in this industry. That said, when we first see Lobo, it's this giant spread of him, like, leaping through the air, escaping from prison. And he put his face right in the middle of the where the two pages meet. The crease runs right through his face. You couldn't just move it over an inch? I mean, like, come on, man. <laughs> it's a full spread. You can put him anywhere you want on those two pages. <laughs> and you put his face right in the middle of the crease it's just mm. now okay i'm not gonna jump into all this i'm not beating up on the guy he is what he is my real problem is with this story okay and i think this story is a symptom of a much larger problem that i have with the whole relaunch when you put a guy like rob liefeld who delivers a product that people do like that he has fans he's yes very good at the 90s macho posturing you know smash bang comic unfortunately there's just not much else to it that's all he does he's a one-dimensional guy is he good at that yes i will seed he's good at that thing i am not interested in that thing i guess i thought the whole purpose of the relaunch was to start fresh and take a different look at these characters that we've known for years and if that was the case 
putting a writer artist like Rob Liefeld on the book it's just a lazy move on DC's part. It is lazy. It brings nothing to the character. It brings nothing to the story. And all he's doing is using characters like Lobo, who people really care about. I love Keith Giffen's Lobo. Keith Giffen writes the hell out of Lobo. Why do you give Lobo, a character with such charisma, to Rob Liefeld? It doesn't make sense. And he's just completely empty here. He's running around going, I'm going to tear your fragging head off. And then after that, I'm going to Lobo catchphrase the whole planet. You know, like, there's just nothing here to identify this character. And I realize maybe he's supposed to be different. And this is a slightly different look at him. But the only thing that's different about him is, oh, he's in a prison in Colorado. What? (laughs) How the hell did that happen? And then you introduce Zealot. A Wildstorm character. Yet another Wildstorm character that is being, for lack of a better term, farted into the DCU because there's no reason for her to be here. None whatsoever. You have this nameless, faceless group of aliens that he introduces that all look like a bunch of other Rob Field characters. Point of order. One of them was Tigor from the Omega Men. And I was really sad to see it. Yeah, see, and that's just the thing. That's, okay, case in point. You were just randomly grabbing characters and using them as plot points in a story. Yep. There is no plot. You can't just throw out characters you recognize and hope we'll all clap and go, it, yay, Zealot like showed up. If yay, the, if Lobo's the, there. It's like if the Avengers movie, if the only thing the Avengers movie had going for it was the fact that we got to see Thor standing next to Iron Man, standing next to Captain right, America. Right, exactly, because there's nothing there. There's no story here. It's just dumb. This is a this is lazy comic booking where there's almost no plot, there's zero character development, and the characters themselves are used as the plot devices to distract the reader from the fact that there is nothing interesting going on. Zealot and Lobo are characters that I like, and both of which, and and it's not just them. Every character in this book, their dialogue is about as interesting as like the poorly dubbed Godzilla movies of the 1960s. Again, I'm not trying to bag on Lee Field. That... This guy has a different type of comic booking and storytelling. I'm saying if you want people to get interested in this book and you want people to buy Deathstroke as a major villain and a big important character, you have to do something with the character first. Much like with... By the way, leave it. (laughs) Much like with the Green Arrow relaunch, the Deathstroke relaunch took a character that had interesting things about him and... Flushed them down and told Yeah, did nothing for the character other than like, oh, he's walking around with an 8x10 framed picture of his ex-wife who he misses so bad. And five years ago, (laughs) I was a pretty normal guy. And then I became a killing machine and started killing everyone. And I have an eye patch, by the way. You know, like, there's just nothing here. We don't want to bag on Mr. Liefeld. He's a nice man. I've he, met him. He's a super he's nice guy. passionate about his work, yes. and I appreciate that. And I'll even go so far as to say that he's good for comics. Yeah, absolutely. Because people get excited about his work. Here we are talking about him. But, I'm sorry, he's a professional, and this work needs to be better. It does. And he is not... And you know what? I disagree. It does not need to be better. This is not the book he should be doing. <laughs> this is not what he should but be doing. What is <laughs> he should be playing in his own sandbox? He should mm. be doing his own characters, mess around with young blood, mess around with blood pack. You know, bring that stuff back. Do whatever you want with it because that was yours, and people legitimately like it, and they're gonna buy it. I'm saying give Deathstroke to somebody who can do something interesting with it, please. And man, Hawkman is next, and I can't tell you 
how much I care about that character and how badly they have f***ed him up. <laughs> I'm saying Deathstroke is a character that's better served as a supporting character, not as a headliner. Yeah, he doesn't even necessarily need his own book, but could sustain a really good book if written by the right guy. I, I gotta give this a leave it. We're, we're rambling now. I, it's This yeah. book is not good. And it's not worth talking this much about. I'm sorry we wasted your time. Trio honestly. was better. <laughs> Trio was way better. <laughs> As always, we want to know what you, Liefeld and John Byrne fans, thought of these comics. So let us know how biased and predictable our hater reviews were over at our Facebook page. You hear that rumbling in the background? That's the sound of the G.I. Joe killer whale revving up the hovercraft fans. Get ready to chase that shithead Zartan through the nameless swamps where he and his retard friends and dreadnoughts are always hanging out. So join me, codename Snakebite, and my co-pilot, Joe Patrick, codename Dainty, as we run those suckers down while reviewing 10 comics in the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! X-Men Legacy 266 from Marvel. I haven't picked up an X-Men Legacy since Age of X over a year ago. I picked it up because it's an AVX tie-in, and that's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I don't know half of what's going on with the characters, Fair but enough. She-Hulk shows up, and they pound on each other for a little bit. It was fun. I'm giving it a skim, and I'm not saying you really need it, but hey. The Tick number 100 from New England Comics. This was uh, Invincible meets The Tick. This is the first time The Tick has ever crossed over with another licensed pro- character. Sure. And it was so great. I haven't read a Tick comic in so long. This was laugh out loud funny. It was really well drawn. It's not uh, David... What's the guy that created Tick? I can't see his name. Ben Edlund. Ben, it's not Ben Edlund. It is Benito... Benito Sereno. Sereno, who's worked on a bunch of different image stuff. He's done yep. like some backups in Hector Plasm. It was so guarding the globe. Buy it. Higher Earth, number one from Boom Studios. This is the new Sam Humphreys sci-fi book. I was really eager to check it out to see what he could do with a serious sci-fi as opposed to the lackluster comedy book that he's doing. (laughs) And it was really good. This first issue is very slight. It read in five minutes. It's like the anti-trio. But there was enough there that I'm hooked. I think the first issue is only a dollar. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm excited. Mega Man 13? Yeah, man. I you haven't read Mega Man for a long time. This is the start of a new storyline called Spiritus X Machina. If you did classic cartoony video game comics, Mega Man is awesome. The art has like perfect manga pitch to it that reminds me of the old Capcom Mega Man look. There's even this like really interesting debate on the pros and cons of giving robots feelings going on. And like this anti-robot terrorist group that thinks like they're too dangerous and you should just have humans. This is really good. Buy it. Nah. Batman and Robin, number nine. This is a Night of the Owls tie-in, and I have to say it's probably my least favorite issue of this series to really? date. Really? Yeah. Really? It, it's all Damien, no Batman, which wasn't the bad part, but it was just, frankly, it was kind of silly. Really? Robin leads like a platoon of soldiers against some talons. I don't know. I just wasn't that into it. Guest art by Lee Garbett, who I really like. I but like him too. It just wasn't the same. I gotta give it a skim it. Sorry, Pete. Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realms. Number one. This was written by Forgotten Realms creator Ed Greenwood, and the dialogue was pretty good. There were some funny like jokes back and forth there, but there was too many characters, too much going wrong, and too much of the dialogue. I... 
I got so bored that I almost couldn't finish it. I'm sorry, but I gotta give it to leave it. Green Lantern number nine from DC. <laughs> Dark confession. I was really starting to get bored with Green Lantern. I'm sorry. I let myself get behind, and I just, I'm like, I, I get it already. Colored lanterns, whatever. But I got all caught up, and this issue in particular was like a huge leap forward yeah, in, yeah, this, yeah. in this story. It was awesome. For the first time in a little while now, I am actually really excited to see what comes next. That means buy it. Frankenstein, alive! Alive! Number one from IDW. <laughs> that was very dramatic. Uh, Bernie Wrightson has still totally got it, and he blew me away here. This was beautiful. This was Bernie Wrightson going insane, drawing the character that I think he loves more than anything else he's ever dr- drawn before. This is a continuation of his Frankenstein story from the 80s with Steve Niles on the writing duties, and it was so good. If you love Frankenstein, this is a must-read. Buy it. I loved it. Avenging Spider-Man number seven. This issue... From Avenging Spider-Man number seven from Marvel. Everyone knows who put it out, buddy. Yeah, but still, that's, we're doing our job. This is written by Catherine Immerman and drawn by her husband, Stuart Immerman. The Immermans. And it's Spider-Man and She-Hulk versus... Yeah, let's be frank. Kitty cats. What? Yes. Really? And like Egyptian cat gods. It was 20 pages of pure, unadulterated joy. <laughs> it was so much fun. And it was hilarious. Strong buy it. I like to feel like Spider-Man. my bitching brought uh, the She-Hulk back. Because I'm so sick of the Red Hulk. The Red She-Hulk. Oh, I hate her. <laughs> Conquest of the Planet of the Living Dead. Number one from Antarctic Press. That is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. The only thing I remembered seeing from artist Fred Perry before this was a manga-inspired gold digger that was really bad from Antarctic. And I never cared about it. But Perry's art here is really good. Fantastic in black and white. Writer Joe White's story about a soldier that's been in hibernation for way longer than he thinks, waking to fight zombies on a different planet alongside an army of genetically altered kids who know nothing but the military. It was excellent. This was really good. Great comic book. Buy it. What? By the way, this is the third zombie comic from Antarctic Press that I have enjoyed. What's wrong with I you? I don't know. They're good. Ugh. That is your ludicrous speed round. Slam is the sound it makes when Extreme Drifter bails on a snowboard while being chased by a bigger, more extreme Damonite than usual, bro. As, Surf's up, dude, Manite. As seen in this week's issue of Grifter number nine. And folks, I'm not making that up. Dude, Manite. That's not funny. TM Joe Patrick. <laughs> Joe, before things get mystic, weird, and downright evil in here, why don't you read us another tweet? We have a tweet here from Aaron Myers who asks, What makes a great all-ages book? What all-ages books would you recommend that are currently out? Mega Man, one I just talked about. Excellent book. And you know what makes it good? There's nothing dumbed down about it. It's fun, and it's all-ages, but it's not dumbed down. A a comic that doesn't talk down to its readers just because they're kids. Something that has something there for adults to enjoy as well. Yeah. Adventure Time. Takio. Takio, definitely. Which and we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about it, but we loved the graphic novel. Uh, the Tiny Titan series was great. These oh, are yeah. things that like you could read as a parent or as an uncle or whatever and enjoy and feel good about passing it to a child. Pretty much anything Art Balthazar writes. Oh, boy. Fantastic. Like, I am very excited. I kind of missed the boat on Tiny Titans, but I am very excited for this new like Superman family adventures thing. He's doing that Green Lantern, the animated uh, Green Lantern comic as well. And it got, yeah, it got reviewed really well. 
So there you go. I mean, yeah, a, a, a good all ages book doesn't treat its audience like dummies. Right. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where I'm pretty sure Clea slipped us some eggs in our herbal tea. And today's meditation session looks to be <laughs> topless. Oh, yeah, buddy. Matt. Focus past Miss Kalia's bosom for a moment and try to tell us something about one of next week's comics. I'm trying. With those pink pants with the scribbles on them. Man, <laughs> they really do it for me. My pick for next week, Justice League, number nine, from DC by Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. This is a new storyline, The Villain's Journey. This is Johns and Lee's second chance to get this title together. And if they don't... I am done. Them's fighting words. I'm telling you, I don't want to feel like this about a Justice League book. I want to be excited, baby. Joe Patrick, what are you reading? My pick for next week is Lock and Key Clockworks number six, the conclusion of the fifth volume of the Lock and Key saga. Now that everybody knows who's who and all the cards are on the table and the evil has been revealed, I must know what happens next. And then the long wait for the final volume begins. Of course, we want to know what you nerds are reading, so be sure and drop us a line on our Facebook page and let us know. In the meantime, let's start up the motorboat, Miss Clea. Her time is here! That's right, kiddies. It's time for us to reach into the THN mailbag of holding and pull out a question from one lucky listener. Today is a trivia challenge. What? Yes. For a DJ from none other than John from the Burt Wieners podcast. Oh, that guy. And guess what? There were no curse words in his question, so we can just uh, read it on the air. Go figure. That's f***ing nice of him. John wants you to name at least five members of Wildstorm's Team 7. <laughs> okay. And says you get an extra nerd stripe if you can name all seven. He also says you can cheat and use some of the Flashpoint version, but that barely counts and makes you a wussy. I added that last part. Okay. I'm saying all right. no cheating, no Flashpoint BS. I want you to name at least five okay. of Wildstorm's Team 7. I got this. Okay. I got this. Okay. I'm going to say up front, I can't name all seven. I, I just can't. I can't name all seven, and I love Team Seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Team Seven, John Lynch. Correct. And right. I, by the way, I am not looking at the answer. I will be correcting you <laughs> from the top of my head, y'all. Oh, great. That's reliable. John Lynch. Yes. Um, Death Blow. Yes. Backlash. Correct. Brett Booth's backlash. Oh man, I loved that book. <laughs> it was so good. And they just let him go. He just disappeared. It's not even fair. He had energy whips. Yes. He was like their Spider Man, but he was old. Grifter. Correct. That's four. Correct. Okay. And <laughs> uh, this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets really hard. I'm digging super deep here. One more, buddy. One more. Wasn't um And I knew this one. Wasn't one of the Wetworks guys? I don't believe so. Look it up. No, nope. I've got the answer. I'm looking at the answers right here. I don't think any of these guys were from Wetworks. Read me the names. No, you have to guess. You don't get <laughs> one of the guys from Wetworks. His name is like Dane or Blaine. No, not there. They were not part of Team 7. I read Wetworks, buddy. Not part of Team Are 7. Are you looking at the answers? I'm looking at the answer. Yes, I've got the answer. He supplied us with the Are answer. Are you ignoring the part where he says Dane from Wetworks? Dude from Wetworks is not there. 
Fine. <laughs> you are wrong. All right, hold on. I'm not done. Uh, wasn't also Caitlin Fairchild's dad? Yes. He was there. Boom. That's five. I'm sorry. What's his name? Mr. Fairchild. <laughs> yes. Mr. Fairchild. We will, we will not accept Alex. That. Oh, my God. That is correct. Boom. <laughs> Alex Fairchild is correct. Oh, no. no I'm not done. Wow. Now wow. I'm going to get. Here are my wussy answers. In Flashpoint. Oh, boy. John Stewart Give and Lady Blackhawk were on Team 7. Give me a break. And the new 52 that Steve was Trevor. Like, that was like two weeks ago. The other two members, Andrew Johnson. Okay, and after consulting Wikipedia, Arclight was in fact Dane. Who's Arclight? So you got six. Say again? He was Dane from Wetworks. Oh, he was. He was under a different code name and he wasn't gold. So okay. I, got, I got six of them he right. Was just a dude. And three wussy answers. <laughs> That's nine, my friend. Oh, please. Ha! Triumphant. I'm looking at a picture of him and remembering how kick-ass they were. And Aaron Weisenfeld drew that second Team 7 book. It was so awesome. And I miss Aaron Weisenfeld. Where did he go? Thanks for your question, John. And if you have a comic-related question or trivia challenge for comic book Rain Man Joe Patrick, send your Ask a Nerd question to us via Twitter, Facebook, or Gmail next week. Get ready for the return of those nappy-headed nerds, the comic pushers, who'll be shoveling comic product directly up in your little kid's dome. That's racist. I, well, we're making fun of the, the nappy-headed nerds. See? It's ironic. We're commenting. Yeah, Don Imus got fired for that shit. I know he did. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for the two-headed nerd Joe's Bachelor Party Edition. If you want to hear about the Power Girl lookalike that punished Joe's privates, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, where your star ratings and short reviews can still be traded in for high fives. It happened to me last night. Oh, John Mitchell. Nice John, guy. he came into the store and did it uh, on Free Comic Yeah, super nice guy. Yes. I grew up next door to that dude. I forgot to tell you. Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to keep us in private dances from buxom super vixens, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers, who, like I said, will be here next week. If that's not enough, head on over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN. There are not enough of you. Yeah. We, I know that more of you listen than yeah, our fans. We have more Facebook. downloads than fans. So it's not adding up here, yeah. guys. So just you click the like button. It's funny, man. Or put us in your Google Plus circle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody uses Google Plus. <laughs> While you're there, you can also answer the question of the week. Who is your favorite comic creator to follow on Twitter? Good one. That's a fun one, right? I can say Matt Fraction says some pretty funny <laughs> Matt Fraction is hilarious. <laughs> He's a and funny it's dude. Almost never about comic books. Kurt Busiek <laughs> often makes jokes about beating his kids. He said the other day, the other day he tweeted that oh I can't think of the name of the baby from Twilight, but it's something ridiculous. He's like I had heard that this was the name of the baby from Twilight. Bella Junior? No, it's something totally ridiculous. Oh. And my daughter and my daughter told me, No, Dad, it's this. And I grounded her and slapped her because that just cannot be correct. <laughs> uh, John Lehman, writer of Chew, is constantly tweeting about this weird war he's having with an encroaching army of scorpions. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tony DeZuniga, co-creator of Jonah Hex, who passed away this week at age 79. Were you, Tony, and I hope you were never forced to sit through that piece of shit Josh Brolin vehicle that Warner Brothers insisted on calling Jonah Hex in the theaters. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>